Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. What a great weekend. Thank you, worship team. We appreciate you all very much. We're starting a new series. Our series is called Through the Fire. And I want to start today with a message called Where's the Fire? I had to tell the worship team this morning that... um, Billy Joel's song, Who's Gonna Start the Fire, was not acceptable in the month of October. (laughs) Not that we use Billy Joel worship songs because I don't think there are any, but it was still funny. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible mentions fire 500 times. And that's a lot of times, I I think. Um, I found out this week that in countries like India and Egypt, that there are religions that consider fire a deity. And when a pagan religion is looking for an entity to worship, what do they look for? They look for power. And fire is incredibly powerful. But fire needs things to exist. I don't know if you realize this, but... When you look up into the the sky and you see the stars and you look maybe through a telescope and you see the planets, do you know that there's only one planet on which fire can exist? Think about that for a second. Earth is the only planet that can sustain fire. But fire needs three things. The first thing that fire needs is heat. So whether that heat is created um, by a a bow, you know, and a string and and a couple pieces of wood, um, and, and you move it real fast, that's all they're doing is they're creating heat. If you've ever watched a survivor type show when they when they they're making fire with a bow that's that's all it's doing they are creating a sense of heat um, if if lightning strikes that lightning when it strikes it is so hot that it it provides the heat that is needed but if if all you have is heat it doesn't mean that you're going to ultimately have fire, you still need other things. The next thing that you absolutely have to have is oxygen. If you don't have oxygen, if, in fact, if, if uh, in, a, in a minute I'm gonna put a candle here, I can go ahead and do it right now just for this illustration. But if, if I took this candle and I lit it and I put a jar over the top of it, it would take a few seconds for the candle to, to burn up all the oxygen inside, but, but it, the, the candle would extinguish because there is no oxygen. And then the third thing that's required is uh, there, there has to be fuel. There has to be something for the fire to burn in order for there to be a fire. If you have no fuel, your fire will eventually die out. Now, as we look at, at this, the idea of, of fire, and it's incredibly, it's in, incredibly important. Now, um, I get up in the morning, and there's something that I, I do 
almost every morning, and it's just me, it may not be you. Um, in fact, a lot, there's a lot of guys in here that this is not you, but for me, it's, I, I gotta shave, okay? When I get up in the morning, I gotta shave. And I'm telling you, I am grateful for hot water because hot water makes shaving a whole lot easier uh, on your face. And so I, that, that hot water tank that I have, and we happen to have a gas hot water heater. So literally it is a flame that, that hits the water and it warms the water up and it just makes you feel like starting your day. You know what I'm talking about? Um, but, but something like that, you know, the, 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 most of us, you know, we, we wash our clothes and after we wash our clothes, what do we do? We put them in the dryer and, 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 some sort of reaction happens, depending on the dryer that you have, that, he, that, that dries your clothes. Um, we look at, at things, I, I'll be honest, I'm really connected to food. I like, I like warm food, okay? I just do. And not that I, <laughs> Chris is rubbing his belly, he's identifying with food. Um, we, we, you know, when we, we think about food, yeah, we could eat it cold all the time, but doesn't it do something when you eat warm, a warm meal and somehow something has to happen in order to, to ultimately warm that up? And, and so generally speaking, we credit that uh, to fire. It could be that you have an electric stove and so it's a little different reaction. But this series, we're gonna talk a lot about fire and I wanna remind you um, because about 150 years ago, this like, like, within the week of where we are right now. I didn't realize this when I was doing this and, and writing this, but it actually was 150 years ago this month, a fire happened. And it's not the fire that some of you are gonna think about, because some of you are thinking about, you know, you're like, wasn't there a, a, a woman who had a cow who kicked over a lantern and started a fire? And we've all heard about Mrs. O'Leary and her cow, and, and that started the Chicago fire, which was a very significant fire. You know, I'm not saying that it wasn't. But the fire that I want to talk about for a second is actually a fire that happened about 250 miles north of Chicago in a town that many of you have driven through. In fact, a few years ago, the highway went right through the town. It's called Peshtigo, Wisconsin. The most destructive, uh, deadliest, the deadliest fire in U.S. history, wildfire, took place in and around the area of Peshtigo, Wisconsin. The acreage that was destroyed is not nearly as much as fires that are burning right now um, out west. We have... We have Fires burning out west that are in top, I believe the hundreds of thousands of acres. I, there, it's just unbelievable how many acres. But the Peshtigo fire was only about 1,200 acres in size. And basically, it, it, was, uh, it, it was something that destroyed 16 different communities, 16 different small towns in and around that particular area. The best estimates are that 1,200 people lost their lives. And you say, best estimates, why is that the case? And the, the reason is this, entire families were, were killed. Entire, there were some entire communities where there were no survivors. 
And so there was no one left to tell authorities how many people were in a family or how many people and who were in the community. So they feel like they don't even have accurate enough records to to give a definitive number. There there are so many stories that I came across that really are are just phenomenal, but the city of Peshtigo basically burned down within an hour. And, And people felt like it was a tornado that hit that community. I read of one man who scooped up his wife in his arms and he ran for the river. Lots of people just instinctively knew they needed to get to the river. And when he got to safety, he put his wife down and he realized that the woman that he had been carrying was not actually his wife. And they say that he literally went insane. There were mothers clutching babies, carrying them in blankets, but the fire, the the sparks in the air caught everything that they touched on fire, and so these blankets were literally burning and holes were burning in them, and there were mothers that when they got to safety realized that, that the holes in those blankets had burned the blankets up enough to the, fact, the point where their children had fallen out, and in the commotion they had not realized it, and their children perished. The stories are incredible. One family, they wanted to stick around and they wanted to throw water on, on their, their buildings and try to, to save everything. And within seconds, they realized it can't be done. And they crawled together down into the well that they had dug for water. And they survived. The fire blew over the top of them. So many stories, so many different accounts The people, as I said, they instinctively, they went to the water. There was one woman who was afraid of water. She was afraid to crawl into the river. So she hunched over on the bank of the river and they found her dead because she wouldn't get into the water. Literally, they, I, and I would imagine, if, if, if I came on that situation, I would probably have just picked her up and, and thrown her into the water for her own good. But they would get children and, and those that had gotten to safety and take blankets and dunk them in the water and put them over people to try to protect them. Because you see, the, the, the fire just didn't stop at the bank. They looked up into the sky and literally they said that, that the flames were licking across the sky. They said the sky was on fire. And, and the fire was able to literally jump over the river. And those blankets that they had put in the water and put over people to protect them, those blankets heated up and dried out so fast that the sparks were catching those blankets on fire if the blanket wasn't actually in the water. All of it. Anything that was exposed would instantly dry and begin to catch on fire. People actually said they thought it was the end of the world. As people ran from the fire, 
the heat was so intense that if they were caught in the wrong spot, that their bodies literally exploded due to the heat. They could not get away. This tornado of flames was all around them. One reporter, Carrie Fay, she came across some, some quotes from a newspaper, and one of the quotes said this, some of the bodies were so thoroughly burned and consumed that they could be scooped up and held in the double hands. Could you imagine that all that would be a human body would be burned with, with not, not, not days of a fire, but this, this fire burned out, started and burned out within five hours that human bodies could be burned to the point where you could scoop up their ashes with two hand, with just your two hands. That is an awesome force, an awesome power. I want to take you to Exodus chapter 3 as we read about Moses' experience in the wilderness. I want to start with verse 1 and read this for you, follow along. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This morning, I want us to look at three different things from this passage that I think are going to be helpful for us. The first thing is this, that, that God is not limited by the elements. Did you know that? God is not limited by the elements. Moses sees this bush that's on fire. Now, that is not unusual. It's not unusual to see a bush in the place where Moses lived that was on fire because they have vegetation that is very dry. It's a desert sort of climate, so that would make sense. If there were lightning that would strike, uh, a fire could very easily get started. In fact, in 2010, on Mount Carmel, which is in that same uh, general vicinity, that part of the world, uh, 44 people died from a wildfire in 2010. So it's not something that is unusual. Now, we know something about fire, that fire has four stages that it goes through. The first stage is the, the ignition stage. And a fire has to, it has to have heat. Remember I said that? So it has to have a spark. It has to have something where fire ultimately begins. It ignites. The second stage is called the growth stage. 
And that's the stage that a lot of us, you know, when every time I see a fire that's in the growth stage, I always do my best Tom Hanks impression from Castaway. You know, I have me fire. You know, that's the that that's just what it makes you feel like. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and um, so there's the growth stage. Then there's the fully developed stage. That's the stage where where fire is is now on the inside of of the 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 fuel. So if you're, if you're burning oak and you get to that fully developed stage, that means that that, that that fire is getting to the inside and it is going to continue to burn. And the, you, you can pour water on a fire like that, and unless that water hits every single coal, that fire is going to continue to burn. And then finally, there's the, the decay phase. And that's the phase that a lot of people like you know, you're, you're having your bonfire in your backyard and, and you've had the ignition phase, you've had the growth, you've had the full development. Now, what do, you, what do you do with your fire then? You let it burn down a little bit, don't you? And somebody comes out with the, the marshmallows and the Reese's peanut butter cups and the, the, uh, the graham crackers. Maybe you like to use Hershey's chocolate, but... That's what you do when you make those s'mores and they're so much fun, but, but you, need, you need it to burn down. Some of you are, some, this must drive some of you crazy because some of you burn the marshmallow. You just light it on fire. There's something wrong with you. You need to be checked, okay? You need to gold, just roast it to a golden brown, okay? That's how the Lord really meant for s'mores to be done. Let's, let's be honest, okay? But <clears throat> Moses in this situation, Moses is really interested because he sees this fire, but the problem is the bush is not burning. The bush is not the fuel that lit the fire. The, the bush is not being consumed under a normal situation when there's a spark and there's heat and it begins, the oxygen hits it. What happens? The bush would be the fuel for the fire, but that's not the situation here. This fire is burning, but the bush is not being burned up. And I want you to know the Bible calls God a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And I want you to understand that because God is who he is, the normal laws of nature don't apply because God created those laws. And he is outside those laws. God created gravity. And yet the Bible says that Jesus literally was taken up from earth and entered into heaven. That there was nothing helping him. That the gravitational forces still applied to everything else. But Jesus, who was the, and is the Son of God, those forces did not apply. And the same is true for fire. Those forces 
do not apply. God is not limited by those forces. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, it says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible because he is not limited by the elements. He is not limited by time or space. The Peshtigal fire burned for five hours. It ignited, it grew, it was fully developed, and then it decayed. There were people within five hours looking through the ash in Peshtigo. But that fire is unlike God because God does not change. He does not ignite, he does not grow, he does not become fully developed and then decay. What does Hebrews say? Chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God does not change. He doesn't change even his mind, let alone anything else. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Did you know fire, you know, when you, when you look at fire, when you, doesn't it look like it's alive? Fire is not alive, although we would say that at the end it's dead. But fire is, it looks like it's like a thing. It looks like it's literally like living and breathing. Fire is not a thing. Fire is an event. It has a beginning and it has an end. God has no beginning and no end. He's eternal. So even though the Bible uses fire to describe God, there are limitations because God is outside those limitations. God does not need to ignite. He does not need to, to grow. He does not need, he, do, he does not cool down. He is not extinguished. And out of the fire, God spoke to Moses. And I want you to know, that the God of the universe wants to do the exact same thing to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to get your attention. And he can use whatever he wants to to do it. In fact, he's already been doing it. Whether or not we want to pay attention is another thing. But God desires to speak to you and he is not limited by the elements in order to do so. Secondly, God's presence is holy ground. So this bush is burning. It gets Moses' attention. God calls to Moses by name, and he says, don't come any closer. Now, why in the world would he do that? Show up. He's, he's, he's burning you know, he's speaking from a bush. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. It's getting Moses' attention. Moses thinks, I've got to go look at this thing. And then God calls to him and says, hey, don't come any closer. Why would God be doing something like that? Why would he say something like that? God is telling him, Moses, this is holy ground. Now, Moses, God was not saying that this exact place of ground is holy. What he's really saying is that my presence is holy. And wherever my presence is, that is holy. Let me illustrate from Exodus chapter 25, which is uh, about 500 years. Uh, well, excuse me. Sorry about that. 
I'm getting to that part, but Exodus 25, the Ark of the Covenant. God says, Moses, I want you to build a wooden box, and I want you to put gold over the top of it. You're going to make a lid for it. On top of the lid, there's going to be two angels called seraphim. Their wings are stretched out toward each other, and there between their wings will dwell the glory, the presence of God in the form of a cloud. And Israel kept this in the tabernacle. Okay, And the Bible says that by day, a, a pillar of cloud was over the tabernacle, and by night it was a pillar of fire. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But this, in, on this Ark of the Covenant, there was the very presence of God. And 500 years later, okay, we're back to 500 years later, David is the king, and the Philistines are the arch enemy of Israel, and they have stolen the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it and they put it in the temple of their god, Dagon. And in the morning, when the Philistine priests would come into the temple, the Bible says that their huge idol of Dagon would have fallen over and was laid prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. Well, All right, let's set her back up, fellas, because we got to worship it today. So they would stand it back up. They would come back the next morning, and the idol of Dagon would again be prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. They started to wonder if something was up. Then the people of their country started to, to get diseases they were starting to to really get nervous. They started adding two and two together, and they said, this thing is cursed. We've got to get rid of it. And so they took it, and they left it out in the wilderness somewhere where they knew the Israelites would find it and be able to control it, okay? David was very excited, King David, because they're going to go get it, and they're going to bring it back to Jerusalem, and they're going to put it in the tabernacle where it belongs so that they can carry out worship, and they're all excited. David takes his men, and they take the the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it on a cart. Sounds logical, right? The problem is that in the Scripture, God says that only the priests are supposed to carry it. So the cart is being pulled by oxen. Again, sounds logical. It's not God's designed plan. So they're carrying it along. I imagine they come to a dry creek bed. The oxen go down into the creek bed, and the cart is being pulled down following them, and the oxen, the Bible says, stumble, and they're worried because the ark is going to slip and fall off the cart. And a man named Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark. Sounds logical, doesn't it? Look at what 1 Chronicles 13 verse 10 said. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark, so he died there before God. Why did God warn Moses not to come any closer? Because God's presence is holy. And I think far too often we don't take it seriously. Are you with me? Uzzah was was not trying to even disrespect the presence of God, but the presence of God is so powerful. I didn't say this in the the first service, but if you want to study something awesome, study how the priests would go into the Holy of Holies. They would put a rope on their waists, 
They would put things on the hem of their garment that made noise so they could find out if they were still alive. And if they had died in the presence of the Lord, they would drag them out from underneath uh, the the curtain that was around the Holy of Holies because they wouldn't go in because they knew to be in the, the, the holy presence of God, they could die. That's how serious the presence of God is. I'm so thankful that we live under the, the, the gospel and the covenant of grace. Thank you, Jesus. But God was warning Moses in order to keep him safe. You might say, well, you know, I've seen a lot of people that said that something was the presence of God, and man, I just don't know if I buy all that stuff, and you know, I, I don't see God really punishing anybody for sin anyway, so maybe, maybe God really isn't all that powerful. First, or Second Peter, rather, chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter assures us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, instead he's patient with you, not wanting any one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is a patient God. But that does not mean that he's not a powerful God. I don't know if you know this, but at a thousand degrees, steel melts. That would be scary. That would be really scary. The other night, we had a Bonfire at the house, you know, it's dark. That's when, that's when a bonfire gets good. It's not really good until it's dark out. I don't know why, but... And Levi is running around digging in the dirt. You know, he loves the dirt. Grandpa, dirt, dirt. He just, he loves the dirt. And there's, there's stumps and rocks everywhere. What are you worried about as far as your kids or your grandkids? You're worried about them getting hurt, right? Because the fight, we're, we're concerned, Right? So we, we build up rocks around the fire so that you know, they can't get too close to it. And if they take one step toward that fire, we just jump out of our skin. Those poor kids don't know what hit them. We're so upset. We're so nervous, right? We're concerned. But what about, what about just one, just one flame, one little flicker? How concerned are you about this? Huh? It's fire, right? How concerned are you? How concerned are you? Now, if I slow down, I'm going to get concerned. How concerned are you that I would put my hand through that flame? One could say, I I really don't respect or fear that flame but you give me a little fuel. You give me a little oxygen. This baby will tear this place apart, right? That's how we look at God. Oh, isn't, it's, it just makes you feel good. It's, you know, we, we used to put these things on trees in our living rooms at Christmas time. I don't think we fear it as it is. But if you give it some fuel, it'll become one of the scariest things that you could imagine. We look at God. I don't don't know if I'm really in awe of who God is. 
Friends, I believe that if we saw God for who he was, that it would scare us to death because of his awesome, mighty power. In fact, my point, my third point is this, that, that Moses hid his face. Why? Because he was afraid to look at God. Revelation chapter one, beginning at verse 13. John, this is Jesus' best friend, okay, on earth. Jesus' best friend, John, has a vision. God takes him into the presence of God, and he sees Jesus. I want you to look at this. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. John was scared to death. Scared to death of the awesome power of God. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How can we fear God and yet not be afraid of him. Psalm 33, 8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. The idea here is that we worship him, we adore him, we are in awe of him, we reverence him because of that great power and it literally means to worship him because of that great power. The same way the Egyptians, the same way those from India do, they worship fire. It's a deity to them. Why? Because of its power. But you and I realize that God is not limited by the simple elements. And we worship him. We are in awe of his presence. God does not want us to cower in fear. So as I close, let me ask you this. Is God just something interesting for you to observe? Like Moses seeing the bush that wasn't being consumed by the fire. Maybe, man, maybe you come to church just because it's fun to watch people. Is, is that what it is for you? Or, or do you really have a sense of awe about his presence? You see... He's a powerful God. He's not limited by elements. His presence is holy. It is something to be revered, something to be in awe of, something to to fear. And so my question for you is this, where is the fire in your life? Does the fire of God burn in your heart? Ian Bounds, one of the great Christian authors of Days Gone By, he wrote this, God must be represented by a fiery church or he is not truly represented. 
God is all fire and his church, if it be like him, must also be aflame with the great eternal interest of his. We should be ablaze with his presence. Where is that fire? Does that fire dwell in you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these simple illustrations that you speak to us about your presence. And Lord, I pray today for every person that's within the sound of my voice. And I pray that that we would ask ourselves the question, where is the fire? Is that fire, is it in me? Is it burning in me? Maybe it's at the point of ignition. Maybe it's at the point of growth. Maybe it's full development. Maybe it's actually in decay. Maybe it's, it's man, it's almost not burning at all. It might almost be out. Father, I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would convict us and that you would, that you would fan into flame the presence of God in our lives. Before we leave this morning, I just want to ask you a question. And I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads before the Lord, and, and let me simply ask you this. Does the, does the flame of God's presence, does it burn inside of you? And is that flame something that you desire to see grow in its strength to grow, to see the presence of God increase in you. If that's you this morning, I, I just want to pray for you before we close this service. You say, you know what, Kevin, I, I've never, I, I don't think that, that God's presence dwells in me the way that you're talking about and I'd like that to happen. Or, or maybe you say, you know what, I want to see the presence of God grow far beyond what it is in my life. I want to be just consumed by him and his presence. If that's you, I just, I just want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Yes, yes. Yep, there's hands all over the room. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand together, shall we? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the presence of God that lives within us today. And Father, I pray that there would be, that we would just be lit on fire by your Holy Spirit, that we would be ablaze with your presence and with your glory. And Father, I pray that throughout this entire month that there would be an anticipation of what you desire to do in us. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place today, that we would leave with the knowledge that the presence of God can grow in us. And I pray that, Father, we would be lit on fire by your Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.